Today's topic is lazy. Lazy versus work, self versus others, turning inward versus turning outward. In Trevor Sutton's book, uh, Being Lutheran, uh, and if you don't have that book and you're starting to become interested in it, that's awesome. It's available in our resource center, or you can speak with Barb Hoffman after the service, and she can tell you the who, what, when, where, and how to get the book as well. Chapter four is called Lazy, and here's actually what Trevor Sutton says that I, I thought was a great quote. On the word amusement, and maybe you didn't know kind of the origin of the word amusement. Despite the many forms of amusement, its meaning is singular. The word literally means to be without a muse. In the ancient world, a muse was believed to be the source of creativity, ingenuity, and invention. Muses were supposed to generate thought and inspiration for poets, musicians, and writers. New ideas were thought to be a gift of the muse. Amusement, therefore, is actively trying to be without a muse. It is choosing to be mindless, thoughtless, unengaged, and checked out. Now, uh, my generation, I'm 35 years old, uh, we were the, uh, I think, kind of on the forefront. We weren't the first video game ever, okay, but my generation was the Nintendo generation. Um, those of you that are younger than me that aren't aware of this, this was at a time when a controller had two buttons on one side and then a little uh, keypad on the other, unlike today where it takes like uh, all 10 fingers and some of your toes just to play any video game. I can't even do it anymore. But back in the day, Nintendo was just this awesome thing. It was Super Mario Brothers. Uh, was, it, was, it, was just an epic game. Duck Hunt was a big deal. I came with a little gun. And so what I learned how to do early on was how to amuse myself and check out completely by playing this game. Now, little did I know, my mother would put us to bed and uh, not long, either right afterwards or either right before we go to bed, like the doorbell would ring and like her friends would start coming over. I didn't catch on what was going on at first. And then when I would try to go to bed, I'd hear yelling and screaming and laughing in the other room because apparently I thought the Nintendo was purchased for me. So amusement began to kind of take over the Duffy family, and then Nintendo gave way to Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis, uh, at one point, I think it was Xbox. I started playing college football at about 8 p.m. against my cousin, and at about 6 a.m., at the crack of dawn, he looks at me after losing to him for 9 to 10 straight hours, because when I lost, I'm like, run it back. I'm going to win. And he finally looked at me. He was very serious. He's like, Josh, You've lost for nine hours. You need to stop. You need to go to, like, I'm concerned. There's something wrong with you. And so I'm that generation, and many of us can relate to that. Others of us, uh, oh, and by the way, let me just say, I have, this is a side comment. There's a lot of money to be made on this idea. Let me, maybe you can relate to this. I think they should make a controller that is meant to be thrown. <laughs> like a tempur material. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, uh, no, no screen was safe. No wall was safe. I was a thrower, okay? And when you can't control your anger, you need a controller for your anger. That's all I'm saying. Some of you can invent that, get the patent, you may make millions. Um, so anyway, that was, that was my generation. Some of you out here, it may be social media, that's your thing. The news, whatever. You just get 
lost in this thing where you just kind of disengage. Maybe for you it's all about going to resort or a spa or whatever, and you just kind of flip off your brain. It's a very intentional move. And what's, I think, starting to happen, my goal in life, uh, by the way, is not to be political week in and week out. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, there's just no avoiding it. So I'm sorry, okay? Uh, And and my, my goal in life isn't to be political every week, but um, I think we'd agree, like, we just have to deal with certain things. And, um, you know, even going back to the debates up to now, what, what I started to sense is happening is, uh, first of all, the gravity of what was being said and done, I think, became almost amusement to us, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I don't think it hit us like this is going to affect the whole planet at some point. I think we just kind of switched our thinking to some degree, and now uh, what we are seeing, and that I think we need to, to think about in relation to Daniel 4 today, uh, is not non-Christians. I expect non-Christians to act like non-Christians. What I see happening is actually Christians being manipulated. So if, if you're not a, a Christian, and for some reason uh, you got drug here or, or what have you, um, there's going to be kind of a commercial break where uh, I'm really just talking to followers of Jesus for just a moment. Uh, because what, what is happening, I think, is, is our, our culture and our media is successfully taking the church and splitting it. And it's bigger than a pilgrim problem. It's bigger than your personal news feed and your own personal posts. It's, it's something that I think is actually, you can just watch uh, how Satan is moving and just cutting a line right down the center of the church. And what's at stake is the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel, and hell. That's what's at stake. So uh, we're, we're just going to take a little bit of a look at that. And those of you that, that haven't been here the last couple weeks, uh, Daniel chapter 1, basically Daniel's pulled into slavery. Uh, he kind of sticks it to the man by eating uh, kind of this vegan diet, even though the king wanted him to eat meat and drink wine. He has veggies and water, and he becomes more physically fit than the other guys who are doing what the king wanted, so he's already kind of set apart. Uh, then chapter 2, he interprets a dream that no one else could interpret, and he, he gives all the glory and praise to God, which again kind of sets him apart, and him and his buddies are then blessed because of that. Chapter 3, his buddies are put on the hot seat, literally. Uh, they stand up kind of a, a peaceful protest against this worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. They stand strong, and the three of them are thrown into a furnace, but there happens to be four people in the furnace, not three, and the king quickly realizes that this God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God that these men worship is real, and he's powerful, and he's dynamic, and he's different than everyone and anything else. So that rolls us right into chapter 4, because uh, we see, believe it or not, Uh, um, Daniel chapter 4 is different than all the other chapters. Scholars believe that Daniel chapter 4 was written by Nebuchadnezzar. 1 to 3 and everything after 4 is written by Daniel. But there's this one section where, and if you read how it's written, it's really written from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar in the first couple verses, he's giving honor and praise to God. But there's a section, and I would say roughly the break is between chapter th- uh, verse 3 and verse 4, where scholars believe there's roughly a 10-year-ish break. See, over time, Nebuchadnezzar starts to forget the hand of God, the power of God, 
the work of God. And what scripture says is it doesn't take very long and he eventually has a dream. And he has a, in this dream, he goes right through his process that it was before. He starts asking different magicians and different people in the high court that practice the different kinds of arts. Hey, what's going on with this dream? And once again, none of them can come through. He finally looks at Daniel and says, hey, can you tell me what this dream is saying? And it's kind of this cryptic thing of a big giant tree and the tree seems all good and happy and animals are feeding off of it and everyone's good. And all of a sudden, all of its branches start to get stripped down. All of the food is, is distributed everywhere else. All the animals flee and the tree seems to just be kind of stuck with no branches, no leaves, no fruit to offer or anything. And eventually what Daniel looks at him and says is, I have to tell you that this dream that you just had, I really wish you were telling me that it wasn't your dream, but actually a dream for one of your enemies or adversaries. Because what I have to tell you isn't good news. He says, matter of fact, what this dream is, part of it is saying is that if, until you acknowledge your sin and your arrogance, um, what is happening in this dream is going to be fulfilled. And what's going to happen is you're going to lose your mind, literally. You're going to be out in the grass eating like an ox. You're going to be pushed to the outskirts of society. Your power and everything, your wealth, you're going to be rendered useless amongst your peers. You're going to be a laughing stock. You're going to lose everything that you have until you acknowledge that God is the one that put you in power. Scripture says that no more than 12 months later of having this dream and being told what he should do, he didn't take it seriously. So Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, one year later, this is verse 30, this is what he said. Okay, uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. He said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? But by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's told where his power, where his authority where his wealth came from, and already a year after that, this is a statement he makes. At this point, Babylon is roughly the size of New York City. And what he does is he builds a wall, 22 feet thick, 100 feet tall, all the way around his kingdom. And then when he finished that wall, what he did is he built a second wall inside of that wall, 22 feet thick, 100 feet tall, Again, his city is absolutely impenetrable. And he is so proud of what he has accomplished and what he was able to build. And sure enough, in that moment of those words coming out of his lips, it says God speaks. And exactly what was foretold to him is exactly what happens. He begins to lose his mind. And just as sure as he was told in the dream, he's literally walking around like an animal, pushed to the outskirts, feeding off of grass. He's been reduced to a no one. And scripture says, and what Nebuchadnezzar says is, at one point he looks up and acknowledges who God is with a heart that is humble and a heart that is broken. And verse 37 says this. This is from Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. A humble heart. See, he built walls and he stopped paying attention up and he started looking in. He became consumed with himself, 
looking inward. Here is the problem of what is happening. I don't know if you're catching it, but our culture, social media, what's happening in our world is encouraging you here as you sit to build a wall between you and your neighbor. I mean just socially. I mean just between Christians. This is the commercial part, okay? Consider it kind of a long commercial, kind of like one of the Super Bowl commercials next week, okay? To a Christian, this is what's happening, is the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are prostituting the Word of God. And most of us in this room don't even realize it's happening. And what's happening is it's splitting the church Followers of Jesus, and I know, I know, that may be more than you wanted to hear on a Sunday morning, but let me show you how to do it. I can do right now, I can right now introduce you to Republican Jesus and Democrat Jesus right now. That's what we're going to do. This is how easy it is. You just write a blog, you have your own preconceived notions of what you want, you attach seven Bible verses to it, you throw something in about Jesus, and then you condemn the other side. We no longer disagree or you're no longer wrong, you're evil. Once you're evil, I have the moral high ground. Don't you get it? Now I can say to you whatever I want. That's what's happening. Okay, how about Republican Jesus? He's so clear about governing authorities and where their power comes from and honoring those in leadership. Scripture and Jesus are clear about what marriage is. He's very clear. You know what's interesting? Of all the women in Scripture, even the ones that were barren, they all had husbands. And he blessed them, God blessed them with children. Have you ever thought how odd it is that the Son of God would come through a young teenager, engaged, pregnant, that if she were to lose that relationship to Joseph, it would be for sure destitute. She would be absolutely impoverished for the rest of her life. No hope of moving up. No hope of a future. Single and alone. Can I just ask you, from Republican Jesus for a second, what do you think the advice Mary would have gotten at the Women's March last week? How about this? How about Democrat Jesus? He didn't ride in an elephant into Jerusalem, number one. Am I right? Come on, man. Right? He rode a donkey. Get with it. Okay, so right there. You know he dispensed health care without any notion of preconceived conditions. He healed people constantly. He fed them. Anyone who was hungry. Do you know not once when Jesus fed 5,000 did he stop and go, Man, did you guys count up how many people that was? Did we get a head count of that crowd? What was that compared to the Old Testament? You never hear him do that, right? And see, today we'd malign Jesus. We wouldn't say that he's pro the kingdom of God. We'd just say he's anti-hell, right? That's how we like to malign one another is what we're against. And you know what's interesting is Jesus, when he was running from Herod, maybe this starts sounding a little familiar. Where did he go? He went to Egypt. Starting to sound like a refugee, What's happening in this room is we are beginning to sit under exactly half of the counsel of God. We are submitting to and receiving and living under the authority of exactly half of the Bible. And then we justify everything else that we just don't want to hear, don't want to deal with. 
I had a conversation with a person this week that I love and respect, and I really do. And one of the discussions we had was about lying. About President Trump lying. And I said, but what about what happened the last eight, eight years? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, but this is different kind of lies. And I said, stop for a second. What are we doing? So now we can't even, as the body of Christ, hold anybody accountable, hold any leader accountable. And so to the church, the outside world, we are becoming little Nebuchadnezzars. We were going to build our little kingdoms. We're going to build our little walls. We'll think what we want. We will worship self. And yet we'll really just be worshiping a Jesus who oddly happens to look a lot like the agenda we already had before we went to church. No discomfort. Nothing unusual. You know, here's the interesting thing about Martin Luther. When he was a monk, okay, in his young 20s, one of the things he recognized once he started to understand the ways and the will of God, he lived under this system where what people believed you needed to do was you had to do good works to impress God. So I wouldn't open a door for any of you because it's just a nice thing to do. I do it because I get a point with Jesus. That's how it would work. And he began to realize this is ridiculous, that actually I'm made right before a holy and righteous God because of what Jesus did. But then Luther would say, well, don't be lazy, right? Continue to love one another and serve one another um, as you would out of a loving heart. Do it because you care. Do it because you now have a new and renewed heart because of the love that was first shown you. This is actually the quote from Luther. He would say, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. It's so hard to be able to tell someone about Jesus if they think you're a jerk. And so what he's just saying is, is I don't do loving things for one another, for this person over here, that person over there, because it impresses God. I do it because I've been forgiven here. And now I love and I'm free to love and serve my neighbor for the sake of loving and serving my neighbor. And you know what's interesting is once he realized that it's all about Jesus, it's all about the gospel, it's all about what God had done for him, he then leverages the most cutting-edge technology of the day, the printing press, to get this truth out. He hides himself away for three months, and he translates the entire New Testament from Greek to German in a three-month period, prints out 5,000 copies of Scripture, and sells them and distributes them all over the place, turning and flipping the world upside down, making Scripture accessible to the planet. That was a philosophy of Lutheranism 500 years ago, is leverage everything you can to get the gospel over and around and through every barrier that even exists. He went over and around the Roman Catholic Church to get this done. Talk about a barrier, right? Did you know that today the Lutheran hour is the oldest running, consecutive running radio program to this day, proclaiming the gospel every single Sunday. That's the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Did you know that in the 1950s, we had a show called This is the Life, 
produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, from 1952 to 1984. We were going on 40 years, received multiple awards and Emmys for its production value. It wasn't some just cheesy, silly thing. Lutheran Church, not LCMS, but Lutheran Church even had Davy and Goliath, a cartoon for kids. We were in the radio and the TV business before it was even fashionable. Where did that come from philosophically? We, well, our founder, the guy who didn't want us to name anything after him, but we did it anyways, right? He was using technology to get the word of God out. So you're not called to be a hermit on social media. You're not called to not engage a culture. But we are called to engage our culture as a follower of Jesus with the gospel so let me, let me just put it to you this way. Here's how messy it is. And I think of it as being about as messy as a blood-stained cross. You can absolutely, and I think Scripture is very clear about what marriage is. Very clear. But can I just ask you something? Have you ever looked into the eyes of a person who lives with and struggles with same-sex attraction and what that was like growing up, what that was like if maybe their father kicked them out of the house. I'm, I'm telling you a real story right now. I'm protecting identities. It's a real thing. Have you ever had that kind of a conversation? Have you ever been passionate about what life is in the womb as a follower of Jesus and yet show extreme compassion and a heart for a woman who's had an abortion? I believe in the laws of this land. I believe that we're a sovereign country. Yes and amen. Have you ever looked into the eyes of poverty in Mexico? I don't mean go to Mexico and put your feet up and get a margarita and look at the beach. Have you seen that? Or is it just easy to just kind of, oh, yep, okay. This is the tension I'm talking about. Conviction. Conviction's good. Absolutes, yes and amen, but where's the heart? Where's the compassion? Where's the tension of what that looks like to deal with humanity as Jesus dealt with the humanity of this world? Um, when I was a youth minister, I was blessed with the opportunity to work with the former Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, president of Mexico. And what we worked with the president of Mexico is getting some youth ministry opportunities with their churches. And we kind of worked with them, and I worked with their youth ministers, and our youth group worked with their youth group. And we did a whole series of events, a community event based off of a, like a soccer tournament, which was awesome. We had another event where we brought Christmas gifts to these kids, and we presented the gospel. And I have to tell you, this is, this is just, I'm just being honest with you. Whenever I was there, what I could tell is that these little kids, yay tall, right? You talk to a translator, I can't speak Spanish, Okay, and what I'd find out is, wow, they want to be teachers. They want to be doctors. They want to be pilots. They want everything that our kids want. And then I would watch as I would come back as kids get older, and you could look in their faces and see that reality is starting to set in. This isn't going to happen for me. And you'd watch young people with vibrance and energy and belief in their future. And then it would become just older men sitting all along the side of the curb with nothing. 
Do I believe in the laws of our land? Yes and amen. But I'm just, I'm not trying to throw a, a, a monkey wrench in the whole thing. I'm just being honest. When I saw that and saw that repeatedly, I'll just be honest with you. I remember telling my folks, I don't know. I can't say definitively that if I were Mexican living in this part of the world that I wouldn't try to break our laws too. I don't know. I watched a woman sweep the dirt off of her dirt floor in her living room. What is that? There's humanity there. And as time started to happen, I saw these two kids, and, I, and let me tell you, this is, not, this is the only time in my 35 years of life I've ever done this, okay? So this isn't like how I do things, but I think this is important as it pertains to God's desire to be over and through and around all these little barriers and boundaries that we like to put up. God's desire to make himself known to the least and the last and the forgotten. To walk in the mess. So I start noticing these two kids, and I can't even really tell you why. They were brother and sister. And I started feeling so strong in my heart, like, like can't deny it. Can't deny it. Like to, It's almost like you've got to do this. Like deep, deep conviction to go and talk to the older brother. And my message to the older brother through a translator is, look at what's happening in your community. Your community needs you to rise up and be the leader of these little ones, all these kids running around. I just felt strongly that he needed to know that. He looked at me, sitting with his three or four friends, and he laughed in my face and kept laughing right in my face and I have to tell you I was almost overcome with emotion of even expressing this and then having him just laugh at me through a translator and I've never been more humiliated to this day in my entire life I walked away I went into a room by myself away from my youth group and everybody else just like kind of just praying to God like what what was that so I, I thought you put this here I thought I was being obedient I go and talk to this person. I don't even know their name. I thought this is what you wanted for me, and I just look like a complete idiot. Is this, is this, what are we doing, okay? And I just felt so defeated and just like an absolute zero. And by the end of the day, I had a kid come up to me and say, hey, Josh, there's someone that, there's some guys that want to talk to you. Oh, and by the way, um, these are some pretty rough guys. <laughs> There's a lot of gang activity that was going on in this area, too. Uh, they'd like to, to speak with you. Really? Yeah. So I walk out, and under a tree, I didn't notice him at first, but he was sitting. The kid that I was talking to, this guy was like sitting behind him with this group of guys. And when I walked over to the tree, there he is, sunglasses on, sitting in a chair. And then he's got these two other guys, tattoos on their face and sunglasses on, sitting under a tree. And one guy has his glasses off, and he's sitting, and he's leaning forward because he wants to know, what is this Jesus that you were just talking about? We just heard you say something about this God, and we want to know more. And I sat there with the oldest member of our youth group that came, he's a man in his early 70s, just had a huge heart for God and a huge heart for missions, and we just begin to share with them the lies that they're buying into. You think running drugs from this part of the country to the other, do you think it's going to give you enough fulfillment? And I just begin to explain how unhappy Americans are. 
They keep buying the same lie. They keep filling. They have more stuff than you, but I can assure you they're just as empty. And I just share with them what we believe and why we believe it. And he's soaked in every last word. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to explain that. And I don't know what exactly how to tell you how to think about every last interaction you have online or with every last person you're dealing with. I just know that God has a deep desire to reach lost people. And it would be a shame for people to not know who Jesus is because of the political divisiveness that's happening. It would be beyond a shame. God is calling us to break through barriers. You know, culturally in the New Testament church, and I'll just close with this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14. You can't get much more broken relationally than Jew and Gentile. I mean, that's a cultural issue. It's a religious issue. These people did not like each other. And the Jews really didn't care for the Gentiles, okay? It was everything about them offended them. Their way of life, their past behavior, the way that they saw it. I mean, the Jews are always kind of like, you're not really belonging in our group, okay? You people are a train wreck. You know, it's just second class, stay where you are. And I love what Paul says as he's trying to explain the gospel to these two groups. He's trying to help them understand that they're one under Christ. And he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14, for he himself is our peace, Jesus, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. You carry a message of peace. You carry a message of reconciliation. You carry a message of hope. And how you navigate and negotiate that is 100% leaning on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you be a people of conviction, you be a people of passion, and you be a people of compassion. You'd speak truth and you'd love and walk in the mess that Jesus walked in. As messy as a blood-stained brow, a bruised body, a pierced side, offering hope and reconciliation to the entire world. 